Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Ashley Riley Newby. She's a Jill of all trades, living in Jacksonville, Florida. She's a notary, a wedding planner, a wedding officiant, runs a cleaning business, and all while still having a 9-to-5 at a bank. And on top of all that, she's also a mother of two. We discuss how her upbringing inspired her to be an entrepreneur at a young age. We also talk about how she influences her children to be business savvy. And we talk about how to still have joy in these difficult times. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Ashley Riley Newby. No instructions, nothing to prepare us for this. Like, it's just here and you got to deal with it. Yep, they're like, well, uh, there's a global pandemic outside, so have fun. That's pretty much what's happening. Figure it out. Look, yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> I would love if you could just start, just tell, introduce yourself to the people and tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, so I am Ashley Riley. Ashley Riley Newby. Newby is my favorite name, um, but I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm a mother of two. Um, I am newly married, and some of my professions consist of me. I've been in the financial industry for about 10 years now. Um, two years in, I started my first business as within the cleaning service. I moved on to New Texas, um, became a notary professional, um, party planner, and my most recent business that is flourishing as a result of COVID is my wedding officiant business. And so what what drove you to do especially the wedding stuff and then the other the other eighty six careers it seems like you've you've taken <laughs> on for yourself? Um, to be honest, I think curiosity. So if it's anything I'm super curious about, I'm gonna look into it and if I find it fascinating, I'm gonna take it on as a new project. From the marriage perspective, um growing up I had zero to no examples of what a successful happy marriage was like and just being that i was intrigued by it like i really wanted to know what it was like to um experience the process like i didn't get invited to weddings there was no one really it seemed like getting married so once i saw that i wanted to know the process of it and i wanted to be a part of it so i would take away any day over something sad i enjoy fun and enjoyable things and even when I started doing my notary business I got to the point where I started turn, I started turning down people who needed divorce stuff I do document preparation but anything that is sad like I just don't want to part I feel like the world is too sad anyway and that's some people's specialty but my I want to see people happy I want to see people in love I want to see people making new memories those are the things I want to take part in and how old are your kids now so my daughter is 10 years old and my son will be 16 next week. Are they experiencing sort of anxiety right now or what's their sort of take on everything? My son is super nonchalant. So and it, it kind of makes me nervous for the fact that if he is experiencing something, he doesn't talk about it and you'll never know. Like he won't say anything about it. He won't mention when something bothers him. Um, he's very like calm, cool, and collective. He doesn't acknowledge anything. My daughter is a different story. She's gonna she's gonna let you know when you're having anxiety. Like she's very vocal about everything, things that bother her, 
um, I encourage my kids to be outspoken, and she pushes it to the limit. She's going to do that more. <laughs> so I guess looking at how your kids are, and and then kind of seeing it, you know, looking at your own upbringing. Whatever you, what do you sort of plan in terms of besides, you know, maybe therapy for your kids or something like that in the future? Is there anything else that you've taken from your experiences that you hope to pass on to your kids or hope they can learn from? Being outspoken at a very young age is, is very important. And if you can, if you can do that with your parents, if you can start, and as long as it's done in a respectful manner, if you can do that with your parents, you can do it with anyone. So I encourage that part of it, um, with both of my children being out smoking, uh, express when something is bothering you, bothering you, but be prepared to sit down and figure it out, um, and, and try to come up with alternatives um, for that. Being independent. Um, is another thing, you know, I want them to start at young age, um, as funny story last year for Christmas, I, I wanted to give my kids something different. So I told them, I'm going to give you a hundred dollars towards, um, creating a business. So you have to figure out what can you do with that hundred dollars? If you just double it and it's a one-time business, that's fine. Um, if it's something ongoing, of course, that's even better. My son chose to take it, purchase t-shirts, sell t-shirts, so he doubled his money. He made about two fifty off of the hundred. My daughter was very displeased. She said a hundred dollars was not enough. She said she needed more than that, and I'm like, a hundred dollars is like that's the max. Like that's what you're getting. Like we're not negotiating. It's your time to be creative. You have a whole Christmas break. Go figure it out. She chose to tell all of her uh, family members who were going to buy her Christmas gift to just donate to her business instead. She ended up coming up with almost $400 and five different businesses. So, with that being said, I was like, okay, you beat me at my own game. But it also showed how creative that children can be and how I never would have even thought that, you know, you would, you would be able to spend something in that sense, from being upset at me, like she didn't want to talk to me for at least four days because she was angry about it. But she started talking, and I seen why. <laughs> oh my god! And then did you did you have a similar business savvy at a young age? Like, what was like? Did you start? Did you make like a lemonade stand as a kid or something? And you you know were the hit on the I block did. or like what happened? I did. Um, I think at so I said with my grandmother, we we were. We were we weren't super poor, but we weren't. Um, yeah, I guess we were. We, were, we weren't super poor, but we weren't very far off. And it's a lot of things that I wanted, and I've never been the one to like ask for them. So instead, I found different ways. So at seven, I started wrapping gifts and charging people around Christmas for it. I started selling. Um, I did lemonade. I raked yards. I sold candy. So I was constantly. From the age of six to seven up until I was always finding something different to do. Like, I was always finding something. I even one time started a business where I was um, killing ants. Um, but I did all kinds wow. of I, I tried everything, I think. And I started at a very young age. Do you think that was motivation from, like you've mentioned, you grew up poor? Was that were you sort of feeling like I have to do something to help my family in this situation? Was it like I need to be strong to get ahead? Like what was sort of the thought process? 
I think it was, um, I think it was definitely, um, maybe a combination of all of them. Um, I always felt guilty asking for things. And that's even, my parents, um, although we weren't in the house, they, I was, they were accessible to me. I still didn't feel comfortable asking them for things. So I always tried to find a way to like do it myself. I've always been super um, independent. I wanted to do it myself. And it felt like almost like I would be a burden if I had to, you know, ask them to do certain things at that point. So I think that's kind of what spiraled it to make me want to do. As well as I remember some of my mentors or people that I looked up to were teachers and people within the school. And all of them had separate things. Like the music teacher was also a choir director. And the librarian also did, uh, she did poetry. All of them had separate things outside of being teachers. So that kind of inspired me to want to do the same. I want to kind of transition into sort of some of the stuff that you kind of gave me, like the, the very brief overview of what you've been going through in your life. And I kind of want to talk about your kind of everything going on with like your businesses and your family and talking about your life journey and sort of the things that have stood out to you and just kind of want to talk about how anxiety kind of made its way through all those things in your life. I don't think it was identified as anxiety. In fact, I don't think I truly understood what anxiety was until maybe I was 25. Although I had been suffering with it for years, I don't think I really identified it until it was at at that point. And it was only because it was a professional that said, maybe you, if you're not sleeping and you're having these issues, you really, like, that's not normal. Like, you shouldn't be operating off of two hours of sleep. Like, your mind shouldn't still be doing So once they brought it to my attention, and I'm like, I've been doing this for years. Like, I never knew it was an issue or a condition. Like, I thought it was normal. So when they brought it to my attention, that is when I think everything started coming in. And then I had to find a way to fix it because it was different when I didn't know it was a problem. I didn't have an issue. But once I realized like I it is an issue, it's a problem, I kept finding, trying to find different ways to, to fix it or improve it or get rid of it because I didn't want that ongoing thing, you know, to be there. Was there a specific event or instance that sort of made you realize that there was an issue or there was a, a problem? I think, so my son is 16. When he was uh, five, um, I was back in school. I, I had the cleaning service. It was doing really well. And I had just launched my, uh, my accounting business. And at that point, I found out I was pregnant again. And when I found out I was pregnant, um, I was I was very far along. But of course, with me doing so much, I had kind of totally overlooked it. And I was so upset. I was sad. It was like, how could this happen now? I'm in the prime of my career. Um, but, you know, I kept doing it. I never slacked up on business. I was working very hard. Like, I'm still doing my long days. Um, and then two days before my baby shower, I was eight months pregnant. I went into preterm labor and it ended up resulting with me having um, a child and she passed away. And after that, I had to deal with the guilt of feeling like it was my fault. Like, had I not been so upset about it originally, had I, you know, slowed down on work, had I focused more on being pregnant, you know, maybe that wouldn't happen. At that point, I was sleeping maybe like one hour a night. Like, and, and 
if that, I would like close my eyes. Like I probably was even sitting up sleeping. And I went to my follow-up and the doctor, she she was like, I'm gonna give you a referral, but she didn't even say what it was for. She made it seem like it was standard because she probably figured I would uh, turn it down. Like I turned down everything else. But when I went, it was actually for a therapist um, and a counselor. You know, we had a session in one. And that's when they started bringing it to my attention. You know, she was saying, you know, you're tired. And how many hours are you getting sleep? And just a different questionnaire. And from that, that's when I realized that, you know, it was, I was, I'm not going to say bad off, but I wasn't in the right spot. I wasn't in the right place and I wasn't handling it right. And so how did, how did that change? you know, how you looked at, because then you have another, you have your daughter now. And so how mm-hmm. did that, this experience sort of affect the next pregnancy? So with that, I went through a depression for a year and a half. And within that year and a half, I went, I fell in a really bad depression. Um, I suffered with anxiety really bad. They tried me on several different medicines. Um, I had trouble sleeping. Um, I would just randomly, um, I was very emotional, of course, um, but it was a lot of stuff going on. And then when I went back, I decided after a time, I'm like, I think maybe they, no, they recommended maybe I should try a birth control because that has that, that place uh, on your emotions a lot of the times and it kind of regulates things. When I went to do that, I, that's when we found out I was pregnant again. And I had so many emotions from that because it's like, I've been on, I tried all these different medicines, you know, they've experimented with so many different things. So I had, I think the guilt got even worse. So now I'm still grieving from one child and then to find out I'm I'm pregnant again and I didn't even start this pregnancy off right. So it, it was very difficult. I think that span of my life within those three years, it was very difficult. It was very hard. Um... But I also developed a different kind of strength because after then it's like if I can get up if I can survive these two instances because it's like I, I stopped working, you know, businesses fell, like I literally didn't want to get out of bed some days. So it's like if I can survive these and eventually come from it, it made me feel like I have a different form of power. I feel like I can do anything in the day now. Like, if I was able to get out of those, that point, I really feel like I can accomplish anything. So I don't complain about, you know, doing 15 hours or any of that because I only think about the time when I can do anything but sleep in bed. And what was the, when, what was the business that ended up failing? And then when was that in terms of like when the pregnancy and when you had your daughter? As, as a matter of fact, it was Mother's Day. Um, I wasn't feeling, this was too... 2009-ish. Uh, Mother's Day, I wasn't feeling well. Uh, two days later, um, I'm at work. Um, I was working at the bank during that time, um, and I was getting to work at 8, but I was waking up at 6 to send out invoices for my cleaning service. So I'm balancing two jobs during that time. That's the day that I went into, um, that same day, I wasn't feeling well. My feet started swelling really bad. I ended up leaving work about 30 minutes early, but that's the day that I went into labor. So, um, during that, once I got out of the hospital, I really started back up. I was in the hospital maybe 10 days. When I got out, I still was, no, in fact, while I was in the hospital, I was still sending out invoices. I was still trying to keep the business afloat. I was still, when the nurses were, like, impressed, 
like they I was in the bed literally with maybe 30 stitches and I was still doing stuff. But the day I actually got discharged from the hospital, that's when reality started setting in that I went in the hospital pregnant, but I was leaving empty-handed. So from that day moving forward, it started to slowly dwindle down. Like I was sending invoices late. Um, I was still doing, I was responding to emails late. Um, it, I was still trying to like keep it together until about nine to 10 months later, I wasn't responding at all. Like I wasn't, and, and I did, I had a hard time trying to find someone or even tell anyone that I needed help that I just didn't feel like talking to people. Like I wasn't answering the telephone. I would let everybody go to voicemail and then I'll try to, you know, get back with them in a couple of days. But it started to go down. So maybe 10, 11 months later. And then once I found out about my daughter, like at that point, I wasn't doing any contracts. I wasn't doing anything. So here's, I went from doing little work to no work to just completely giving up on everything, not working, not sending invoice, not looking for new work. Like any contracts that were coming up on ending, I just let them end it and I didn't try to renew. So a year after losing my daughter and then um, six months into finding out I was pregnant again, I was dead broke. I was broke. Like I was in a really, really bad spot. Where was your emotional state then? What was kind of going through your mind then? What made it like progress to where you were sort of back at it and we're sort of back at that mindset of like, I have to keep going. I have to keep moving. So six months into being pregnant with my daughter now, um, it started to, I read a book that said how um, are you carrying children? They, they also carry your emotions. And I started thinking about how sad and depressed I was and I didn't want a sad and depressed child. So I tried to start finding different ways to kind of uplift myself and do different things. But then I realized that the most uplifting part was when I was working. So, you know, when I was thriving, when I was being a successful business owner. So I started uh, reaching out to some old clients again, letting them know we were doing um, a a mid-year special. I just started sending out emails. And within two weeks, things started to slowly come around. Like, oh, we had we lost contact. Um, we do have something coming up you may be interested in. Um, so a lot of stuff started kind of coming along. And once I started seeing that and the, the deposits were coming again, then I started to go shopping for my for the child at this time. And once I started seeing the room come alive, I think it kind of gave me something to look forward to. Like I was decorating again, like I was finding different stuff to find happiness in. Um, so I think it was really that, those, those transactions. And then she finally arrived and it's like, I want to be able to provide her and my son with the best. And in order to do that, I got to keep going. I got I to gotta stay abreast. And I have to let them see me looking, you know, being okay. Because I used to be afraid that my son was nonchalant because I'm like, well, did, did, cause he used to be a very energetic child, but I started saying, did he grow out of it? Or was it because I was sad for so long? He just, you know, he I wasn't available to play with him or I wasn't available. It was just him. So I care guilt about that, but I also was like, I don't want to put them in that position where I even have to question that. And it seems like you still carry some, there's still some guilt there that you're, that you're still kind of processing. And what's that like for you now, especially with what's happening with COVID and everything else in this mess of 2020? It is so crazy because 
even with COVID, you know, I try to talk to my kids more. And I think that's one of the things I lacked before. We didn't communicate. So I do try to talk to them. And my son, I have to probe more because he's not going to openly say, you know, if he's afraid about it. We've had at least 10 members of our family that have contracted COVID. Um, two of them were in ICU. One of them actually passed away. So it kind of hits home because, you know, they see how it affects people. And that's the conversations that I want to have with them because it's okay to be afraid. It's okay to have stuff bothering you. You know, it's really nothing we can do to make it go away. But at least if you're able to talk about it, it makes things easier. And I even talked about that with my daughter. Like, you know, I was sad for a while, you know, that, um, you know, I had a daughter and she passed away, but you were my gift. Like, you made things better for me. And I tell her that all the time. That's a conversation that I try to have with them um, about. It's okay to be sad about certain things, but let's talk about it. You know, let's still find the joy in it because there's a joy in every bad situation. And this is me being a naive northerner. Um, what has it been? I just can only go from you know, sort of media and all that kind of stuff. But what has it been like in Florida? Because you've been in Florida the whole time of so far of the mm -hmm. pandemic, right? So what yeah. what was it like in the beginning of everything and sort of where you've landed now? Because also like how and how the businesses that you have were affected and how you were emotionally affected. I kind of want to hear from you what your thoughts are and all of that. From the beginning, um, it was very difficult because we were reading about it, but it didn't hit home. You know, my sister, I have my sister and my father, they live in New York, and they saw it a lot. It was a lot more prevalent there. Like, you know, they saw the lines at the hospital, and I only could read about it. And then one of the first cases that I found out about was actually in, you know, locally, um, you know, it had been two people that were affected. But my father-in-law was the fourth person. And at that time, it was very, very new. And when I found out about it, um, we were, you know, I found out about it and then it flashed on the news. So it's like it hit so fast that I didn't have a chance to process it or even try to explain it to my kids, you know. And he was the fourth was person in Florida, right? Like you're saying in the whole uh, state or, or just in the area. You know what? He could have been maybe the fourth clerk. It, it was very fast. When he when we found out about it, his diagnosis, because they didn't know what it was for a while. You know, he had been in and out of the hospital, but they had no idea what it was. And um, his wife, she, was, she actually works in the medical field. And she mentioned, you know, it's something, you know, wrong that, you know, testing for everything. So when we found out, um, it was still very new. I think in the state of Florida, we maybe heard about three people. That had it, and he was around the fourth person in all, and maybe like the second person in Jacksonville. So it was very, very, you know, it hit fast. We didn't have a chance to adjust to it. It's not like I heard about any other, you know, people or anyone said, hey, you know, my uncle has it. That it just hit like that quick, and we didn't have a chance to process it. We didn't know what to expect. At that point, we heard, we heard, if you get it, you probably gonna die. Like, and we were just all like, very very sad we didn't know how to handle it what to do next or the attention that came along with it and of course with kids being involved it's like if i don't know how to process it how can i help them so it, it really has like that that has been uh it was overwhelming but on the flip side of it 
all of my businesses, um, so I still, you know, I have a job, a day-to-day job, and eventually I was, uh, I had to come home and work, but I had to balance in my businesses. You know, they were mostly like part-time. Um, they weren't consistent, but they all kind of, I kind of got like a rush at once because everything was, I do service-based things, and the industry was here, the, the courthouses, the a lot of the attorney office, everything was closed down. So people still needed services completed, but they had nowhere to go. So it really, I was bombarded, you know, at the time. And then I, I'm bombarded, but I'm also afraid to still meet people. So mm. it was very, very, it was very, very trying. And things weren't, correct me if I'm wrong, things weren't like locked down fully for a while either. Like you guys were still kind of up and out and about. They were recommending to a lot of people. You know, to to not go out if you if you don't have to, but there was nothing in place. There was no type of curfew really in place. You know, they were encouraging you to stay home, but without making it mandatory. You know, everything was still care. All stores were still open. All the restaurants were kind of still open. Like everything was still open. I was still required to go to work, even when my kids were um, home from school, because it went from them being on spring back break until an extended spring break to not going back at all. So I was never closed. That's when it kind of hit like, wow, now everybody else, you know, at first I'm like, well, maybe our family will just be affected with that one COVID case and then things will get better, but it didn't get better. It got worse and worse and worse. So when, cause you mentioned that 10 of your family members contracted COVID. So how was that very quick you said that one person got it like Friday in the beginning when did it sort of spread to the rest of the people that ended up contracting it in your life we found out about him it was uh later in March I didn't hear about it again um it didn't really hit the family again until late May early June so um no it definitely was in June yeah, we didn't find out about it again, uh, again until mid-June. It was around Father's Day. So we had had, you know, a big break in between. So we really thought that that was going to be it. And then when I found out about it again, there was like three family members had it at once. And then I found out about it again. It was like five. So it's like, oh, like it's a lie. It's a lie. So now we're, we're when we're recording this, it's like, it's almost September of 2020 and we've been in this for since March. So a long time. Um, Where do you stand with it now in terms of like, how anxious are you from it? Because things have pretty much gone back to normal, like everywhere. And it's to me, very frustrating. because like, there's no vaccine and there's no, everyone's just kind of doing their own thing. It's gone down where I am in New York and New Jersey but mm-hmm. I know it's gone up in Florida and it's gone up in a lot of other states that weren't really doing as much before. And where are you at with everything? And, and are you so anxious about it when you go outside? Are you extra cautious or like, what are you doing to kind of cope with all of it? I'm not as anxious as I was before. I think I'm more uh, cautious though. I'm definitely more cautious. Um, I'm wearing a mask in every store that I go into I am very anal about washing my hands now, though. And it's like, I'm super anal. Like, I'm when I'm getting in the car, like, I'm cleaning door handles. Those type of things, like, I'm super, I'm super anal about. But for the most part, this is becoming our new way of life. So it's like, that. that's what my life is going to consist of. Even if things do go back to normal, like, um, door handles, 
um, common touch areas, like those things are going to bother you. Like I'm going to want to wear a mask in close proximity because even if it's not that, I think of so many other things. When I first started working at the bank, one of the things we were required to do was shake hands. Like that was the way we had to greet all of our customers. And I think about it now. During that time, I got strep throat so many times. Like, I contracted so many colds, strep throat. Like, I was pink eye. I was constantly getting different things. And it never dawned on me. I'm like, why was I so sick during that time? It was because I was in that area. And I came in contact with so many different people and so many different nerves. So now thinking about that, it's like I should have been wearing a mask and I should have been washing my hand after shaking everybody's, like every hand I'm supposed to be shaking my, washing my hands because even with antibacterial, like, like after using it two times, it's almost not effective anymore. So that wasn't good enough. Like I should have been washing my hand if I'm seeing 30 people a day. Like I can only imagine that, you know, what was going on. So now... Are you in person at the bank now? And are you still, is there a distance? Or are people still trying to shake hands? What's sort of the environment now? Uh, I don't know if I ever can work in that atmosphere again, number one. I'm afraid to be sitting face to face with that many people a day. Um, you know, I was in the customer service part of it. So, you know, it's different if you're dealing with maybe one or two people a day. But we were on a time criteria. So, you know, I had to see as many people as possible. I don't think I can be put in that position because I'll be so focused on, you know, what could happen. So I can't do that. I'm kind of, I'm more back office in that field. I still can deal with, though, my weddings are a lot different. Like, you know, shaking hands then or, or coming in contact. But even with that, I don't, I'm a very hands-on person but we're not shaking hands like I don't know if that's gonna ever that's never gonna go back we're, we're not shaking hands a good a, a firm smile is gonna have to be good enough like no type of embrace like I'm afraid I don't even really want to share pins like when we go I'm giving you your own pen and I'm gonna keep mine and we can do that and when we're done you can keep the pen for marketing listen I keep saying that from now on I'm just gonna wave and that'll be your handshake yeah. Or like, you yeah. know, a salute. Like, I'm just not going to, there's going to be nothing. Something. Nope. That's why I said a good smile is going to have to do. I'm just going to have to, hey, like, that's going to have to do. I'm too afraid. You know, and also like, there's like so much going on in the country and the election coming up and also with COVID sort of looming. Where where do you stand with everything right now? Like the next election is in two months and things could really shift in either direction. Sort of where do you stand and how are you feeling in everything? It's frightening because that election time is one of the most uh, influential times, period. Like history has been made, you know, the past couple um, elections and with the results. So it's so frightening that we don't even have a chance to focus on it because we're so consumed with the pandemic and the and everything else that's going on like by now I typically would be chiming in on debates and you know doing research and you know looking into different things and you know just forming my own opinion but honestly I am so wrapped up with you know people are get people are hurting 
people are sick. Like it's it's so everyone I know is being affected some kind of way. Like there's so many deaths now. I'm constantly having to find bereavement gifts. Like it's constantly sending words of encouragement. I don't even I haven't even had the opportunity to process this whole uh it, it seemed like it came so quickly. Like we're so um, we're so unprepared. We're so unprepared and it and it couldn't happen at a more difficult time. Cause how can you focus on that when you have this with people you know who are hurting and dying? Like it's very hard. Like I don't know the president personally, but I typically would try to form my own opinion by doing my research. But I haven't had that time to do that right now because I'm so focused on this person that I actually know that is struggling and possibly may pass away. And I think you mentioned that so you're you're married recently, right? Mm-hmm. And so yep. how's like your partner's family and everything? Like what's going on there? So um, he's employed, um, but he also has a, a small business, um, a print shop. However, he had, it was his grandmother that passed away um, as, a resort, as a result of COVID. And with the standard policy, when it happens, you have bereavement, but you also have to get tested. And you have to wait on the results. And so with that, the emotional stress from that, and that he's, he hasn't been back to work in over maybe three weeks. He's been out of work because it's just, it was so much going on. So he hasn't been back to work. Um, luckily, you know, he has a something to fall back on because that could have been very, that could have affected us in a horrible way. You know, have we been relying on that? And you get a small stipend during that time, but you're, he's going on a second check that he's missed. So, like, that could have went way left. You also mentioned to me, too, about the anxiety that comes with, obviously, starting your own businesses and, and you're having multiple and, and doing them in COVID. And then also being a Black female having all of these businesses and even just the stress of being a Black woman yeah. in America. Absolutely. What has all of this, especially with everything that's been happening recently and, and especially the stuff this year has been more widely talked about or it's become a more of a topic of conversation. So I guess how you've been in all this, how it's affected your business and how you felt this sort of, I'm assuming because you felt this need to, you know, a lot of people have told me that they've felt that they've had to push more and more and more and be the best, the best, the best to stand out and have to do everything four times faster, five times harder. So if you want to talk to me about some of that. You know, for a while, I've always felt like I've had to work. Being good isn't good enough. Like, I always felt like I had to be among the best. I'm not going to say the best, but among the best. Um, when, I had the, when I had my clean, when I first relaunched the cleaning service, I chose to pick up a heavy debris contract. And I didn't really realize what I was taking on at that time, but it entailed a lot of hauling, line work, line maintenance, a lot of things that I looked at as a male-dominant, you know, industry. So at that time, I had to accept it was it was very difficult for me because it was hard enough that, you know, um, I was African-American, but, you know, they were constructing different things for minorities. But within a minority, it was also, not only was it based on race, it was supposed to be based on gender. I was the only female. 
at that time in the mail, and, and they made it very evident. They brought it to my attention every chance they could, and I was young, too. You know, at that time, I'm in my early 20s, and you have these older men who have been doing this for 20-plus years. So they've been doing this longer than I've been alive. So that was very difficult for me. You know, it was difficult for me. I remember sitting in the car crying after meetings sometimes. But I also learned at that time, being good isn't good enough. So I had to turn in packages before them. And I had to, you know, I may not win, but I had to be there and I had to be on my AJ. And that kind of carried over still to today because my current position, I'm the only female a lot of the times, you know, in that aspect. You, when is the last time you probably seen a, a woman that is officiating a wedding? When you think about it, you think of a man standing there, you know, with a robe or, you know, that is not typically a woman industry that you see. Most most times, if it's a pastor or whatever it is, it's a male. So, you know, it's difficult, but I also feel like I'm always having to work 10 times harder because number one, I'm black, and number two, I'm a female. And sometimes those things they go hand in hand. Like some sometimes it feels like one weighs heavier than the other. But it's still I'm carrying them both at one time. So now when you're doing these weddings, do people sort of do you get that shock still now that you're a woman officiating a wedding? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially it's the grandmothers that come up and say, you did such a good job. I was worried when they said it was going to be a, a woman. Or I was I was kind of nervous when I seen you walk up. You weren't what I expected, but you did a good job. Like, it's like, thank you, I think. Like, you know, so um, even now it is. And I think being a wedding efficient, like I always said, being good isn't good enough. Like, I got to be a man of this. So I went on to become um, an ordained minister in that because I didn't want to be just officiating. I wanted to take it to the next step. Like I wanted to offer other services. So being a wedding officiant, you know, that was kind of side-eyed enough. But then when I took it on to the next step, it's like, wait a second, you were like, you actually a minister too. So it, it has, it has, but I'm used to being like a unicorn in the room now. So I'm okay. <laughs> I'm okay with it. And I'm going to make a, like, I'm going to soften it. Whenever they say something, you know, I don't care how uh, rude it could be taken or how insulting it is. I'm still going to find a highlight to, you know, make it into the ease the moment and put a smile on it at the end. I'm going to end it with a smile. Oh, that's so strong. That's like that you find that you, it sucks that you have to do that, that you have to find a way that that's your way to cope, that yeah. that's the only way to sort of turn it around. Is there, have there been moments that you've just wanted to sit in those, in that sadness or anger from those kind of comments? Absolutely. And I have done that multiple times. I'm a, it's multiple times where I had to kind of fake it till you make it. And that's what I tell myself. In that very moment, like I've had to put the best on the outside when I felt like crap on the inside. And then like, I'm not above crying or anything else, but what I am above is I'm not gonna let you see me cry. So I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna lighten that mode and I'm gonna walk off and I might sit in my car behind my tent windows and cry until I feel better and then go home. Like those are, or I might cry while I drive all the way home. But yeah, I'm, I'm not above crying or, having those, I'm just not doing it in front of anyone else. 
Like, I'm not going to let you feel like you really got me, even though you really got me. Yeah, you don't want them to let them know that they won the situation. I get that. Absolutely. Who wants to be defeated? Like, it, it's not, I think that's the worst. Worst thing being defeated is someone knowing that they actually defeated you. So I'm not going to give you that leverage over me. I'm going to cry at home and yeah. In like this present moment, where where are you at mentally with with everything and with your family and all of this? I am. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't. I don't know where I'm at. You know, I wake up some mornings and I literally have to sit and try to process like, how did we get to this moment from a year ago? Like a year ago, everything was so different, and now look where we are, like the things we took for granted. You know, just being able to sit at family house and watch a movie together, like all of the things we took for granted, going to a football game, like none of those things are, like we don't have those things available to us right now. So it's like part of me wants to celebrate feeling like, you know, I conquered being able to like double my income and do, but on the flip side, it's like, how can I celebrate when, you know, it's so much other that like I can't even have, I probably can't have a regular Thanksgiving dinner because that's too many people in one room. Like it's like, I have to find creative ways of having fun or mingling with friends or like, and then, you know, we've been doing a lot of outside stuff. That's the only way we've been able to coordinate, but it's about to be winter soon. So then what? Like, what do you, like, it's so many other things that we are consumed with. It's kind of, it's difficult. We're taking it day by day, trying to figure it out. And what sort of joy are you trying, or do you get from all of this in terms of like, where have you been able to find those pockets and what have you been doing to bring you joy or what have you been consuming? Uh, media wise or anything like that or a hobby that you've enjoyed to do uh from a hobby standpoint um I've definitely been able to appreciate the outside more um before you know like I said my sister is from New York my my brothers they live there and every time they come, you know, they look forward to coming to Florida. They like, cause you guys got the beach, and it's like, yeah, we got the beach. But it's like, you know, we never even think about it. We don't even go to the beach. We don't even appreciate it. But after the beach was closed, and after we were like stuck in the house, it's like I look forward to going to the beach, even if it's just the park to watch the sunset. Like I'm definitely appreciating the smaller things now. The beach, feeding the ducks. Um, being outside, sitting on my back porch and being able to listen to music and watch the sun. Like things that I typically would have never, because I had so much other stuff available to me. Going outside, we've even done movie night in the backyard, like creating our own fun. I definitely have a newfound respect for that. And, and being able to, you know, find your own fun, be creative when it comes to things. I definitely can appreciate that more now. Um, than before and is there anything that you want to sort of pass on to people that are listening that you want people to take away from our conversation life is so short it's life is so short it's like a blink of an eye literally and you really have to utilize every single second for something you know no wasted seconds no wasted time 
If it's something you want to do, no matter how crazy it is, just do it. And even if you fail, at least you have a story to tell about what you did for the future. It's no such thing as when I get enough money, I'm going to do this. When I get situated, I'm, you know, whatever it is you want to do, make it work now. Because you really don't know what the future holds. Last year, no one would have thought we would be in this situation right now. Nope. And if you did, what would you have done differently? And that's all I can think of. You couldn't have been prepared, but it's so much other stuff that I would have wanted to do before it got to this point. So you are the only person that knows the plan for your future and don't let anybody talk you out of it because you can change it at any time. You're the only person that knows the blueprint. So if you decide you want to change it, change it then, but do it at least. Start somewhere. And you can also have said that you want to go back and you wish you could have done more stuff before all this started, but at the end of the day, you probably still would have wanted more. You're right. You're right. I still would have been talking more. You never will truly be satisfied. So, yeah, you're you're absolutely right about that. You're right about that. It's something else I still would have found that I could have did differently or um, should have done differently. But, yeah, you're totally right about that part. But I think what you're saying that life is life is short and just to jump and, and do the things that you've been afraid of doing because you only... You only live once. Yeah. And you can't redo it. You definitely can't redo it. You don't have the opportunity to. So just start. Don't procrastinate. Procrastination is one of the biggest things that we, you know, we all do it at times and we don't realize we do it. But like procrastination is hard. For instance, my son will be in college soon. I re-enrolled in school. When I look at it, it's like, I should have did this a long time ago. But here I am almost 20 years after that, doing something I should have did then. And part of me wanted to say, you know what, why do it now? Like, you already have your career. But it's the unfinished part of it for me. It's like, I was supposed to do it. How? Who am I to tell him about finishing what you start when I didn't do the same thing? So definitely following through with me. And what are you going back to school for? I am actually doing more managerial accounting organizational behavior like I want to be able to it's one thing to have a business it's another thing to know all of the different aspects of it I want to be able to effectively manage my employees like I want to be able to know the ins and the out of that um I think I'm you know pretty empathetic when it comes to things but it's a lot of the things that I have gathered from going back and looking at all of the different aspects that I may have um took for granted or prohibited me from flourishing in my businesses the way I should because I just didn't know ignorance of course well I really do wish you the best in all of this like you've been going through so much and you're doing what you have to do unfortunately with where we're at to make it all happen for yourself and to give your kids uh as positive as you can of an environment to be in and as like a a lot of communication and just to be open. And I think that's really important. And I, I'm really just excited for what is going to come of all your businesses. And do you, is there anything that you want to promote any like social media or like stuff about your business? Sure. I can be followed on Facebook at ask.riley. Um, I can be followed on Instagram also at ask.riley. 
And my website is askriley.info. Um, and on there, I talk about, um, you get a link to all of my different businesses. Um, I'm currently offering a notary tutorial for moving from being a notary to having a notary business. Uh, so I'm currently offering one-on-one -on -one classes for that, as well as a group setting class. Um, and I have other classes that will be coming on to kind of help people who want to be entrepreneurs or find a way to balance being a serial entrepreneur, which isn't talked about a lot of the time. And, you know, everyone says something about having um, multiple streams of income, but nobody really understands the, the task of balancing that, balancing that work-home-life balance. Thank you so much for for talking with me. I really enjoyed our conversation, and I hope you did too. I did, sir. I really, really enjoyed it. Time went by so fast. I know. You did an awesome job facilitating. I truly enjoyed it, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak. Thank you. I hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and you take care. You wash your hands. <laughs> Stay sanitized. Don't touch those doorknobs. Don't touch the door. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ashley. I really appreciate Thank it. You, that was my chat with Ashley Riley Newby. She radiates joy and positivity despite everything she's gone through. I'm honored I was able to share her story with all of you. You can learn more about Ashley, sign up for her notary training classes, or even have her officiate your wedding at askriley.info. Follow her on Instagram at ask.riley. After you check out Ashley's socials, you can subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. You can also stream every episode at anxiousafshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at anxiousafshow. If you want to tell your story, email us at anxiousafshow at gmail.com. We're also looking for additional composers for the story-based episodes, specifically females of color. If you're interested or know someone that is, email us and let us know. This episode was edited and mixed by Angelique Ibera. Production assistance from Matt Laurie. Music by Garrett Rose. His work can be found on his website, garrettrose.com. And hosted and produced by me, Sarah Carlin. Thanks for listening, and hope you're enjoying this new season.